The beginning of Disney's movie renaissance began in 1989 with The Little Mermaid. How does this tale stack up against the original story? What can we learn about history by examining the life and times of its author, Hans Christian Andersen? Find out today on Footnoting History. Welcome to Footnoting History's mini-series, Footnoting Disney. This is where we focus on the historical traditions that became beloved Disney films. Today I will be choosing my favorite of all Disney films, The Little Mermaid. Disney's feature film follows a rebellious teenager willing to give up her voice, her tail, and her family for the chance of love. The movie gets a lot of flack these days, seeing a young girl literally give up her voice in order to have a chance with a boy she has never met certainly seems like a dramatic and negative message to be sending to young people today. And yet, I love this film. Its release came at the perfect age in my life, to spend my morning watching the movie, the afternoon playing Little Mermaid at the pool, and then coming home and watching the movie all over again. It's difficult for me to hear modern criticisms of a movie that formed such an important and fun part of growing up. I'm also Danish, and I was raised on the forlorn stories of Hans Christian Andersen. I desperately wanted to find a new way to view this Disney film with a fresh take, so I decided to research its historical roots to see what we could find about the story's original meaning. To begin with, the story was quite different from Disney's final take of two star-crossed lovers united after one of them risks it all for love. This film had been in various stages of production on and off since 1930. One of the biggest challenges through those years to making it into an animated film was adapting the original story to reflect a more family-friendly theme in line with the Disney brand. And so it is worth retelling the original story briefly so we get a sense of its darker themes and the departure from Disney's trademark happy ending. In 1837, Hans Christian Andersen published his story about an unhappy mermaid who falls in love with a faraway human prince. Mermaids lived longer than humans, around 300 years, but humans and their short lives had one major advantage. Humans could claim a soul and a place in heaven, so long as they were good Christians. Mermaids, at death, merely became a part of the sea as foam at the crest of a wave. In the original story, all mermaids were allowed to see the human world when they turned 15. The Little Mermaid was one of six daughters, and she watched as each sister turned 15 and saw the wonders of the human world. Finally, during the Little Mermaid's birthday visit, a storm raged above. Just as in the Disney film, a ship is in trouble. She saves a drowning prince, swims him to shore, and returns to sea having fallen utterly in love. Melancholy and desperate, she attempts to ask the sea witch to figure out ways that might allow her to join the human world. And this is where the original story and the film somewhat part ways. The sea witch offers her a potion that will enable her to become human with grace and extraordinary dancing abilities. Upon drinking this dangerous potion, a strong sword will rip through her body to create legs where her tail once was. Consequently, each step she takes upon land will feel like the sword is ripping into her again. Every light dance step will be like walking on kitchen knives. Her feet will bleed terribly. Her tongue will also be ripped out and her voice removed. Yet somehow, she is tasked with persuading the prince to fall in love and marry her. 
if she does this, his soul will bind with hers, and they will both obtain entry to the kingdom of heaven. If she fails, she will die the moment the sun rises on the day after he marries someone else. The mermaid agrees to these terms, drinks the potion, and swims to shore. The prince meets her and does find her attractive and graceful. He feels drawn to the new mute girl without quite knowing why. They spend time together, and the mermaid endures hours of excruciating pain by dancing on sharp knives that bloody her feet. It feels like the plan may be working, and the prince may soon fall in love. What the little mermaid does not know is that the prince has been searching for the girl who saved his life. Close to the beach where he was found stands a temple, and one of the temple girls looks vaguely familiar. The prince meets with the temple girl and learns that she is actually a princess from the neighboring kingdom. As a perfect match, one prince and one princess, the two decide to marry. Arrangements do not take long. They wed, the mermaid's heart breaks, and she follows the wedding boat out to sea. There, her sisters come to the top of the water carrying a magical knife. If the mermaid uses this knife to kill her beloved prince, his blood can restore her mermaid tail and she will be allowed to return home with them. She must murder the man for whom she gave up everything, and she cannot bring herself to do it. The sun rises the day after the prince's wedding, the mermaid dissolves, and becomes sea foam at the crest of a wave. The story is sadder than the film. There is no dramatic fight between her father the king or sea witch Ursula. There's no best friend named Flounder, no crab conductor, not even a name. Ariel was a name created for the movie. Instead, this nameless mermaid gives up her life, experiences sharp knives at every step within the human world, cannot eat, cannot speak without her tongue, and fades away, loveless, into the sea. Compared to the happy ending of the film, the original tragic story seems to tell a very important lesson to the children hearing this fairy tale. Don't give up your family for the unknown. It speaks of the danger of foreign cultures and the value of seeking a Christian soul that will admit you to heaven. It's important to consider first the global trends of this period when Hans Christian Andersen wrote this story. So listen, why mermaids? What was it about the 1830s that whispered mermaid to our friend Hans Christian Andersen? Well, their role as part human, part undersea magical creatures provided Andersen with the perfect template for the story he wanted to tell of marginalization and longing. Mermaids have long been popular figures in myths since the Bronze Age, with the first known appearance around Assyrian culture. As Christian beliefs grew to dominate Europe, the Greek tradition of a bird-like siren took on a new image through the combination of humans and fish. In French, in fact, the word for mermaid is literally sirène, and Disney's movie is called La Petite Sirène. Since the ancient world, there have been stories of women drawing sailors to their deaths as sirens or mermaids or both. The popularity of mermaids in stories only intensified during the Age of Empires, when European nation-states began exploring the world and claiming land across the continents for themselves. Critical to this period of imperial expansion, from roughly the 15th century to the 19th century, was the use of maritime navigation across the Earth's vast bodies of water. Crossing the seas into the unknown led to wild stories of underwater merpeople, shipwrecks, and the clash of cultures. 
Sailing the seas in a time when it was impossibly more complicated to predict things like heavy storms, hurricanes, or rogue waves, which is the name for two very large waves converging to create one super wave capable of knocking over even a modern-day cruise ship, let alone the wooden ships of imperialism. Survivors of such catastrophes often spoke in dreamy sequences of being saved by mermaids. Some people suggest that manatees were mistaken to be mermaids by sailors unused to the Florida ecosystem. Sightings of real mermaids pepper the journals of sailors from the crew of Christopher Columbus to more recent sightings between 1990 and 2015 as, quote, real mermaids become akin to Sasquatch and other mythical creatures during the internet age of conspiracy lore. The Age of Empire was a time when cultural discoveries made the impossible seem possible, and the mermaid often became a figure of stories, miracles, songs, and fairy tales. Strikingly, Hans Christian Andersen created a religious motivation behind his story. His Little Mermaid was not only drawn to loving a far-off prince, but also by the promise of gaining a soul, an entry into heaven. The moment of writing came after the Protestant Reformation in Europe and its subsequent religious wars. As the Catholic bloc of Europe began to divide into many smaller sects of Protestantism and bastions of Catholic strongholds, the concept of a religiously inspired mythical creature drew the imperial expansion to a more home-built motivation. This mermaid had to marry a human in order to gain access to his soul. When becoming one with her husband, his soul would be enough to carry them both to heaven. Her failure to bond with him in holy matrimony was akin to those Christians who followed the wrong path and left the one true church, whichever version of Christianity that ended up being, and they would join any other infidel from around the world in a chaotic, perhaps even hellish, afterlife. In this way, Anderson's mermaid was lucky in becoming only sea foam instead of falling into Dante's nine circles of hell. It makes sense, then, that the dramatic and poetic writer of the 1830s might choose a religious motivation for his love story. He might also choose the mermaid as a symbol of Christianity, seeking her soul with her human husband. And a mermaid would have been a common figure in art, stories, and fairy tales during this period of imperial expansion by European states as they sailed around the world. But what if Hans Christian Andersen himself... Would he investigate these cultural and historical trends when writing his story? Did he incorporate such themes consciously as a product of his times? Well, maybe, or maybe not. For there were striking events unfolding in his personal life, events that somewhat mirror the story he wrote. And we must consider his personal life in order to reveal another layer of meaning to the Little Mermaid story. In the 1830s, Anderson made the acquaintance of a member of high society, an aristocratic duke. Upon meeting the duke, Edward Collins, Anderson had an immediate and intense connection. We know about this time period because Hans Christian Anderson began writing a series of letters to the duke about his intense feelings of passion and torment. We have no letters of response, either because the Duke never replied, or because the letters were burned, as messages with controversial content often were. We also do not know what went on in their spoken interactions or passing moments at events of high society, but we can say there was definitely something there. Our friendship is like the mysteries, Anderson wrote to Collins. 
it should not be analyzed. He later wrote, more bluntly, in a shocking admission, I languish for you as for a pretty Calabrian wench. My sentiments for you are those of a woman. The femininity of my nature and our friendship must remain a mystery. It is unknown which party shut down this potential relationship. Perhaps both recognized the uncertainty of such a deep connection, or one was more afraid than the other. No matter. The Duke was soon engaged to be married, and Anderson suffered alone. It was in this time of suffering that he began to write a story about a mermaid. Much might be made of the little mermaid being unable to talk in the story, as Anderson would not have been able to speak freely of his love for the Duke. He must have felt like every step around the focus of his love felt like a dagger, the same as the curse affecting his protagonist, who was quite literally a fish out of water. Ultimately, Anderson came to view himself as the outsider to the aristocratic world that produced Edward Collins' eventual wife. In other words, Anderson lost his prince to another while finding himself in a world where he did not belong. He had fallen in love and wished to be part of his world, only to realize that he didn't belong, not as a member of a high-ranking family, and certainly not as a woman appropriate to marry a duke. He fell into a deep depression. He locked himself into his room for a period of months, and when he emerged, he held a story about a little mermaid falling in love with a prince from another world. When the story was published, Anderson sent a copy of it to the duke, who had by then married a suitable woman from a high-ranking family. There is an alternative ending to Anderson's original fairy tale, in which the sacrificed mermaid becomes a, quote, daughter of the air, and goes around doing good works. In light of the sacrifice and pain he was enduring, losing the man he felt such strong, passionate love for, it seems he came out of his suffering and depression by declaring that there was a path forward. As he wrote to a friend, I have not tied my mermaid soul based on the love of a human being. I have permitted my mermaid to follow a more natural, more divine path. Although it took time to process and grow, Hans Christian Andersen eventually allowed himself compassion and a way to serve others, even if he could not have the love he so desired. A large part of this processing focused on good works and the eventual rewards of heaven. The reason I love this backstory so much is because it reminds me of one other way to interpret Disney's The Little Mermaid. Instead of viewing this as depriving a woman of her voice and granting her the single motivation of boys, 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 we could interpret her cultural and bodily changes to those of growing up and leaving her family behind for the unknown, as all children must do in order to become successful adults. We could even consider the kind of bodily transformations she undergoes to be similar of that which some trans people experience in order to unveil their true selves. Interpreting The Little Mermaid as the journey of self-discovery for her true self as an autonomous, adult, maybe trans being, is one other way to put other critiques aside. This interpretation allows us to sweep together a modern context with the pain and agony felt with the author while he wrote the story itself. It touches on the suffering caused by class divisions and limited opportunities for relationships among men, as much as it highlights the scary period of all our lives as our bodies change and we leave home to pursue something completely brand new for ourselves. This kind of interpretation helps me reassess my love for a movie that meant so much to a younger version of myself.
Well, I hope you have enjoyed this lengthy dive into the history of the fairy tale The Little Mermaid before its release as a Disney film. I have been your host, Leslie Skousen, and I appreciate you being part of my world in this episode. <laughs>